In today's society, women and men still aren't equal. More specifically, we can see this in Poland during October in 2016. In Poland at this time, women were fighting to have abortions. Even though these women were peacefully protesting, many faced blatant criticism, harassment, and punishment. Their foreign minister even called them jokes, while other male conservative leaders called them loose women and provocators. One woman even lost her job while countless others claimed to have experienced harassment after they participated in protests. Women's rights isn't just about abortions. It's also about social norms and economic inequalities in America and in the world. You may be wondering where all of these inequalities came from. Well, most of the stigmas and stereotypes today stem from religion and nature, both of which support the patriarchy. Now, I'm not saying that all religion is bad, but a lot of the patriarchy is involved in religion. Take, for instance, the Bible. In Ephesians 5.22, the Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This passage is meant to support the idea that women are supposed to submit and be obedient to their husbands and the church. Not only in Christianity, but also in the Islamic region, um, women are supposed to wear hijabs, which are head and face coverings. Despite this social norm in the Muslim religion, um, it says nowhere in the Quran that women should have to do this. Women should be able to choose whether or not they want to be modest or wear hijabs for a different reason. This idea of modesty has been pushed on women for so long. Take, for instance, people in Europe and India. Um, in Europe, women were supposed to wear corsets and multiple layers of clothing, even if it was outrageously hot or not the most comfortable. It also enabled them to breathe. That's why a lot of women had fainting couches when corsets were in style. Also in India, when Britain colonized India, they pushed this agenda that um, the Indian women should not have should wear more on like their top half to cover, you know, their breasts. When before Britain colonized India, women would wear a thin layer of like cloth over their, you know, top, or like nothing at all because it was comfortable in the heat. And nowadays, women are forced to dress modestly by law and if not they're subject to ridicule by not only the police but random citizens as well some may argue that the idea of modesty is meant to protect women from being viewed as objects we can see this objectification in the early days of theater and even theater nowadays it's interesting how um most of shakespeare's female roles were played by men however as theater progressed throughout the years, more women became involved. While this is a very good thing, there are also bad aspects to it because of the objectification of women in a theater and um, also how in the early days of theater they were used as prostitutes or strippers. Like in the movie Cleopatra, the main actress was portrayed as a sexually manipulative siren, when in reality, Cleopatra did so much more than just sleeping around. She was educated in the greatest library at the time named Alexandria, she stabilized Egypt, and allowed Egypt to prosper economically and socially. A lot of women in history are often forgot about or whitewashed, and in a lot of cases held to a double standard. Like... Cleopatra again. She um, had a romantic relationship with Caesar, but 
her relationship with with him was the only pe- only thing that people remembered as opposed to how Caesar was remembered as this great conqueror of Rome. Why wasn't he just remembered for his affair with Cleopatra? Why was the woman in this scenario remembered for that and not the man? Even though the patriarchy still remains today, feminism has been a great helper throughout history to equalize these inequalities. There were actually four waves of feminism, and obviously feminism is still around today, so right now we're in the more modern era of feminism. Um, but the first wave of feminism started at the Seneca Falls Convention, convention with Elizabeth Cady Stanton, as well as others who formed an American constitution that included women, which I think is very cool. And then the next one, the next wave happened in the 1960s, right alongside the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War protests. It might have been a little bit overshadowed by those issues, but those are important as well. That sometimes happens with um, the women's rights movement because when the Seneca Falls Convention was going on, there were things like other topics like slavery that seemed more important at the time to other people. And then um, there was the third wave, pre- for third wave feminism, which feminists, um, they took a different approach because they decided to embrace femininity and not like um, boycott Miss America pageants or throw up makeup and bras. They simply wanted women to be their own person and reassure women that they don't have to fit into a box. There is, however, definite need for improvement because there hasn't been a female U.S. president um, yet. There still is a wage gap. There still is um, an inequality between how many um, women are victims of sexual assault versus men who are victims of sexual assault and also who perpetrates those assaults, um, which I will talk about later. Um, But a lot of stigmas around feminism um, stem from the idea that people believe feminists think that women are better than men when in reality the universal definition of feminism is defined as the belief that women and men should be equal in all aspects of rights but is feminism really about equality or does it follow a similar agenda for a different outcome some argue that women and men shouldn't even be equal and that the inequalities in our inequalities in our society are justified while others argue that the gender inequalities in our society aren't justified and that women do deserve equality in bodily autonomy, social norms, and economics. To start, abortion is one of the big topics in modern-day feminism and women's rights protests. There are many who argue that it's not about the rights of the woman, it's about the rights of the child and whether or not it's a human being. People like Dennis Prager, um, for example, in his video, The Most Important Question About Abortion, um, he talks about that those who argue that the human fetus has no rights say that a fetus is not a person. Even if you may think this, it does not mean that the fetus has intrinsic value or no rights. While he might be right in the fact that a fetus is a human being, It shouldn't take away from the woman's rights to bodily autonomy defended by the Constitution. As Ella Bow in the article, Body Autonomy is Protected by the Constitution, puts it, There are no instances in American law where the rights of one person supersede the body autonomy of someone else's. The government cannot force you to give blood or bone marrow to someone even to save the life of a baby. You cannot take organs from a dead person without their express prior consent, no matter how many lives it might save to do so. It's interesting to see that a dead person has more right to their bodily autonomy than a woman does. 
When thinking about equality, people often forget about the fact that women and men are very different in their physical abilities. This is why men's and women's sports are so different. It is a common known fact that women are paid less than men, but the reason for this gap is still quite controversial. Take for instance the article titled Women's Soccer Will Deserve Equal Pay When It Generates Equal Revenue by Brad Palumbo. Brad justifies these women's pay inequality by their difference from men in skill level and nature. He fails, however, to provide enough evidence to support this claim. He only cites one game played by the U.S. women's soccer team and a collegiate men's soccer team. In this game, the women were beaten by the collegiate level men's soccer team. However, does one game justify the $34 million pay difference between women's and men's World Cup? One game is not a justifiable claim for that big of a pay difference. Brad also argues that women bring in less revenue than men when it is a known fact that the U.S. women's soccer team brought in approximately 14.3 million U.S. viewers um, into their final match on television in 2019, while the U.S. men's soccer team only brought in 11.4 million for their 2018 Men's World Cup final. Despite this massive win for the U.S. women's soccer team, they only brought in $4 million in prize money. In 2019, France's men's soccer team took home $38 million. That's about a $34 million difference in pay just from the World Cup alone. That's not even mentioning the difference in average wages for each match. Unequal pay doesn't just exist in the sports realm, it exists everywhere around the world. However, there are some that think that these facts are justified and not as big of a gap as it seems. Take for instance Carrie Lucas and her article titled The Equal Payday Myth. She argues that positions that women often take pay less, and she claims that it is a woman's decision to pursue these types of careers, so she's basically blaming the pay difference on women because of their choice in careers. While this may be correct, we must first look at why women take low-risk and more flexible positions. Could it be that the idea that women are meant to be mothers and nurturers and staying at home affect their mentality toward positions of power or leadership or commitment to a job because they think that once they find a boyfriend get married and have kids that now they have to care for the child and they can't work anymore so why should they have gone for that higher position or tried to get that promotion if they're just going to end up staying at home this is the kind of mentality that women are forced upon on a daily basis as a child and even later in their adult years. According to a report done by Payscale, education, training, and library occupations have the second largest uncontrolled pay gap, despite that women make up the vast majority of educators. Women in these jobs earn 72 cents for every dollar earned by men, even though 74% of these workers are women. On top of getting paid less, women also are taxed at a higher rate than men. According to an article by Kate Ashford, describing the pink tax, she concluded that women and girls pay about 7% more on average for consumer goods than men and boys do. You may be wondering how we should solve these inequalities. What needs to change? Well, 
Women should be more confident in their ambitions and strengths. They also need to figure out a way to look past the reality that men hold the majority in many occupations. Even though this is true, women should believe in themselves enough to get the job they want, whether it be in Congress, a school, a hospital, or anywhere. Soon enough, women will be seen equally as much as men in all occupations. On top of this, women should also teach other women how to believe in themselves and that they don't have to fit inside a box, they can be anything. Men and women also need to break down internalized misogyny. This will ultimately break down stereotypes that even feminists may have. Men shouldn't have to suppress their emotions and carry the financial burden of a family on their own, while at the same time, women should not have to care for the children and all things domestic. It should be okay to do something different or take the traditional route. Even with these changes in mentality and teaching, there still can be people who hold on to outdated and sexist ideals. Regardless of where they come from, society needs to be stricter on sexism. We the people need to stand up and say something when there is injustice, no matter how big or small. This doesn't even have to apply to sexism alone. It could be for racism or homophobia. Aside from change in accountability, the history curriculum needs to be changed to include more women. Most of the time, women's history is barely touched. We usually see women in roles of the domestic type or piggybacking off of their husbands, neither of which are bad, but children and adults should be able to see women stand independently in society, so they know that it is possible for women to change the world. All of these would aid in solving gender inequality. It all starts with one person, a person who stands up for what's right, a woman who beats the odds and becomes president, a man who becomes a father and cares for his children, a mother who balances work and family, a nation that stands against sexism, and a world that is united because of it. Thank you.